brought to you by Charity Mobile, the phone company that supports life and family. 5% of your monthly plan price goes to your favorite charity. Mention offer code TRADITION for a special Christmas offer. Learn more at CharityMobile.com. The crisis in the church has, of course, in recent weeks, especially taken on a whole new life. Immediately after synodality, or the synod of sin, where we were preached the gospel, the false gospel of synodality, which is all about, apparently, listening and dialoguing with people who aren't Catholic so that we can learn how to be better Catholics, allegedly, that's what it's about, we were given a first-hand demonstration of what synodality truly is. And that demonstration resulted in, of course, the ending of Bishop Strickland's ecclesiastical career, his removal from his see of Tyler, Texas, followed immediately by, apparently, Francis declaring Cardinal Burke to be his enemy and removing his apartment and his ecclesiastical salary. That's synodality, I guess. That's what dialogue and listening and discernment are. Now, an interesting statement was made by a group of nine anonymous theologians and priests who issued this statement to the Italian news website Marco Tosati's Stilium Curie. Mr. Tosati is an Italian journalist who I will cite articles from from time to time. He's got deep connections to the Roman Curia. When a, a rumor of sufficient size comes out from Rome, it's usually from him, then his track record is excellent. He's often publishing Archbishop Vigano's letters when nobody else will, give you an idea of the, the kind of authority figure we're talking about here among laity. And he was given this document by these nine anonymous theologians, declaring, laying out a situ- the situation in the church. And they go so far as to say that it is okay for you as a layperson to believe that Francis is an anti-pope if you so choose. I know that will maybe rub some of you the wrong way or cause some discomfort. And I'm going to go over this entire statement in full. And there was also another statement that was much longer and a little more dense. That's why I'm not going to read from it here. But it was published on Rurate Celi about, that was laying out the case against Francis being a heretic, written by a theologian, giving examples and things that he has said and done how they conflict with the truth of the faith. I'll have links to both of those in today's show notes at returntotradition.org. I'm bringing you this statement from Marco Tosati's website uh, to see what kind of conversation we can generate here. And I want to see what people think about it, because I'm not exactly sure what I think about this either, other than it is a conversation that needs to happen. Archbishop Vigano himself said this a couple of months back, that this is a conversation that needs to happen, that the legitimacy of the present makeup of the hierarchy is in question and we need to actually begin to grapple with that question and unfortunately very few bishops seem interested in participating in this conversation hence why it's being led to laity and cardinals and bishops who have been pushed to the side who are doing it for us so let's turn to the document itself now thesis sedimene frechista doesn't exactly roll off the tongue but okay Aware of the unparalleled crisis that has been wounding the church for a long time now, and noting that among the good, the quarrels, divisions, and endless diatribes often have as their object the state of the Petrine Sea and of the entire ecclesiastical hierarchy as private persons 
clergy and lay people, theologians, philosophers, canonists, jurists, and historians, we have unanimously drafted the following. One, that there is an unparalleled crisis within the church, that this crisis sees the genuine Catholic tradition overwhelmed by heterodox doctrines, modernism, and neo-modernism, that this crisis is a doctrinal, liturgical, and moral crisis, that this crisis involves the ecclesial body, discipline, and teacher, up to the Roman see, that all this is not something to be demonstrated but only recognized. Two, that the crisis, which really has an ancient root, had its turning point in the Second Vatican Council, with the coming into dominance of non-Catholic thought in the hierarchy, up to the Roman see itself, is not something to be demonstrated but only to be recognized. Three, that the new liturgy imposed by Paul VI represents an artificial construction and an objective break with the uninterrupted tradition of the Church and with Catholic dogma is not something to be demonstrated but only to be recognized. Four, it is the duty of every baptized person to persevere in the profession of their baptismal faith, that is, in the faith of all time, in the immutable doctrine received from the apostles. It is the duty of every baptized person to live and pray in accordance with the holy will of God, manifested in divine revelation, sacred scripture, and sacred tradition. 5. It is the duty of every baptized person to avoid what could be harmful to their soul, what represents a danger to the integrity of the faith. 6. Given the extent and gravity of the crisis, and until its resolution, the condemnation and expulsion from the church of every heterodox idea, an integral return to tradition and doctrine, liturgy and customs, it is a duty of prudence to be wary of hierarchs dominated by non-Catholic thought, as well as ecclesiastical institutions that become instruments of non-Catholic thought. 7. It is prudent to stick to what is certain, lex credendi, lex verandi, and lex vivendi, as they have always been taught, while suspending assent to everything that is doubtful. 8. The faithful, cleric, or layperson are not called to examine every single teaching, every single liturgical text, every single statement of the hierarchy, to verify whether or not it conforms to the positive of the faith. Rather, a prudential and prophylactic criterion must be adopted. If a non-Catholic thought has infected the hierarchy up to the Roman see, what was taught before the crisis must be prudently followed and assent to what was taught after must be suspended. 9. The suspension of assent is not of free examination, but a duty of prudence for the preser preservation of the faith. By suspending assent, one postpones the judgment on the doctrine of faith and or morals and on the lex orandi, leaving it to the authority of the church. When the crisis is overcome and the hierarchy is once again certain in the orthodoxy of the faith, it will be the legitimate authority that will judge. 10. The crisis can be considered overcome when the hierarchy, pope, and moral unanimity of the bishops teaches the same doctrine taught by the church continuously until the Second Vatican Council and the Lex Orandi of Apostolic Tradition is reestablished. 11. Due to the involvement of the Roman See itself in the crisis, it is legitimate to question the state of the papal see. It is a legitimate opinion to believe Jorge Mario Bergoglio is a true pope, albeit seriously heterodox. It is a legitimate opinion to consider Jorge Mario Bergoglio an illegitimate occupant of the see and or an antipope. It is, an Ill, it is a legitimate opinion to consider the see vacant. It is a legitimate opinion to believe the headquarters is only physically occupied. It is a legitimate opinion to consider the crisis of the Roman see as one of a heretical pope. It is a legitimate opinion to consider the crisis of the Roman See as one of a schismatic pope. It is also a legitimate opinion to believe in the co-presence of two churches behind the appearance of a single church. In the post-conciliar church, there would be both the true church of Christ, 
the Holy Roman Apostolic Church, and the Gnostic Neo-Church, with the Pope at the top of both, so that the Pope would be the Vicar of Christ, but also the head of a new faith, of a, of a new following of a new church. It is a legitimate opinion to consider the post-conciliar popes to be true popes, even if marked by non-Catholic thought. Point 12. As for point 11, these are irreconcilable opinions, therefore they cannot all be true. Only one can be the true one. The judge of which is which one is true can only be the supreme authority of the church. Until the supreme authority of the church, once the crisis has been resolved, has judged, all of them remain mere options, legitimate and disputable. 13. As mere opinions, none of them, although each is legitimately sustainable, may be considered a certain criterion for dealing with the crisis. 14. Since only the supreme authority of the church is entitled to judge the issue relating to the sea, developing slash supporting one thesis or another will be an exercise inevitably destined for non-solution. The question of the sea is destined to remain open, unresolved, until the end of the crisis, until a certain judgment by the supreme authority. 15. Differences of opinion regarding the sea can never be a reason for division, as they are disputable opinions and not certain truths. 16. Whatever the opinion may be about the sea, given the recognized crisis, also the Roman sea and of the entire hierarchy, the prudential attitude must in any case be that of suspending assent, awaiting the end of the crisis. 17. Let us also give this thesis of ours the name of sede menefregissimo in the double meaning of a. I don't care about the question of the sea, as it is an unsolvable question for us and therefore useless to ask, and b. I don't care about what emanates from the sea insofar as who sits legitimately or illegitimately, only material or even formally, de facto or de jure, is a disputed question. On the sea is dominated by a non-Catholic thought, and therefore prudentially is not to be listened to. Signed, The Group of Nine. This is clearly a statement meant to be essentially a rallying cry for the uniting of the clans, as it were. A true uniting of the clans. There is, it is a rallying cry we've used before, many of us have, but many have pointed out that it seems like, anyway, that certain kinds of uh, traditional Catholics aren't permitted to participate in the uniting of clans. Set of a contest, um, more lately, I think, the, the Beni Planists, those who believe Benedict XVI was the real Pope, and now that we are in an interregnum between Popes, because they don't believe either A, he resigned properly, or B, that he didn't actually resign at all, or that C, uh, Francis could not have possibly been Pope because you have to be Catholic to be Pope, and Francis has demonstrated that he is not. Notice that people who take that position often get pushed to the sides of the discourse on the crisis in the church. Patrick Coffin probably being the most high-profile person who this has happened to until Archbishop Vigano has essentially embraced it. The rallying cry here is don't essentially don't let these internal divisions among good Catholics actually cause a fracturing of resistance to Francis. It does serve the other side to do that. And frankly, I do agree that much with it. Um, I hate the name of this. I can't even pronounce that to have it written in front of me to say it. But anything with the sede uh, prefix is going, automatically going to get lumped into with sedevicantism. There are various other options out there that all have the sede prefix, and everybody dismisses them because the people call them sedevicantism. I'm not a sedevicantist. I'm not an anti-sedevicantist either. I just don't agree with them. But I've noticed that that has become kind of just a dismissal term for people. Again, Archbishop Vigano and 
and Patrick Coffin have got labeled as sede vacantes and done so in an uncharitable manner. And it's really undermines everything we're trying to work for when that happens. So I would encourage these to these uh, anonymous nine to come up with a better term for this. But until then, you know, this is what we have. I'm curious what you think of the statement, though. I generally agree with the tone and tenor of it, that we should all work together and view that each one of these options are legitimate options that people can come to. Because even if I disagree with the Benny Plenis position in general, I will tell you this much. It's obvious that the people who come to that position are very thoughtful. They didn't just jump into the position out of sort of emotional thinking as an emotional response. They thought carefully about it. It was not an easy decision for them to make, and they did so in good faith. And they should be treated with respect, just like everybody else, every other Catholic who isn't embracing modernism and neo-modernism should be treated with respect too. Curious what you think about this though, so let me know in the comments, please. And hit like and subscribe if you haven't. It does help. So to share this on social media, that helps too. I will have an English language version of this on my website with a link to the source material, which is at uh, found at Marco Tosati's website if you want to read the original. Um, and thanks to the patron who sent this to me. You found it before I would have had a chance to look at it. So appreciate you very much. As always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.